This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Today, we're chatting with Dave Ford, founder and CIO of Ford Asset Management, and also the portfolio manager on the Ned Group Investment Stable Fund since inception in 2007. Thanks very much for joining us, Dave. My pleasure, Rob. I'd like to dig into some of your views on what's going on around the world, but I thought the best way to kick that off would be to ask you where your preferred areas of the global investing markets are at present. Well, we don't manage money by geography. We manage money more by sector, particularly on the equity side. Um, But in terms of asset classes, we don't think bonds are the right place to be. And in equities, we want to be where the growth is, and, and the growth is in Southeast Asia. So the way we manage money is that um, we believe earnings are the main driver of performance in equities, and that rating is governed by sentiment, which can go up and down 20%, but earnings over the long term go up by much more than 20%. So you need to concentrate on the earnings growth more than the rating. Right now, you've got a low rating on Chinese stocks and a high expected return on earnings there. So that's the favoured area for us. Um, It stands out significantly uh, better value than a lot of other equities. But how how do the events, evolution of events around the world related to China affect your view on, on Chinese stocks, such as what's going on in Hong Kong and the trade wars? and perhaps a slowing growth in the country, are they able to, to sustain a, a, a decent level of growth? Well, the Chinese growth of 7% has been way too high, and, and our view is that backing up that what's going to happen to earnings is that the economy uh, will slow and go through a cycle, but the sustainable growth rate in the economy is probably about 4%. And even if it's 3%, that's still better than other economies uh, certainly developed market economies. More concerning to us is the, in the short term is the slowdown in the, in the Chinese economy is, is, is cyclical and it's probably much deeper than most people expect. But despite that, the stocks and the stock selection that, that we've had, which has outperformed the area substantially over the last two, three years, are well placed. As for Hong Kong, Hong Kong is a sideshow to the bigger Chinese picture. The stocks are listed in Hong Kong, but the earnings are coming from all of China, and very little of it's coming from Hong Kong itself. The one stock where we are directly impacted on China is Wharf, which has one of the best properties in the world, in my mind, which is the end of the Beijing-Hong Kong railway line at Harbour City. Um, That's being affected here, but property gets affected by these things, and we've actually been buying more of that one. We believe in buying on the sound of the cannon, even if it's the sound of the water cannon. The other the other stocks that we have are mainly focused on Chinese consumer, mm-hmm. uh, partly through financials, and they're not directly affected by Hong Kong. Stocks like LVMH and Richmond have got more direct uh, exposure to Hong Kong than the other Chinese stocks that we have. But as far as the stable fund is concerned, you know, we only have a weighting of 6% on a look-through basis. We only have a weighting of 6% in China. 4% in the rest of, the, of Asia. So the total exposure in the stable fund to to China and Hong Kong 
uh, for China, six percent of the total exposure to China, and it's, it's probably one one and a half percent. It sounds like your areas of focus don't won't really be affected by the trade wars with the U.S. Is if you're co- concentrated on the c- Chinese consumer. That is correct, but the trade wars themselves and this trade is slowing and the tit for tat and the bigger issue on the trade wars is important and I don't want to diminish that. Um, the bigger picture is that America, particularly Trump America, is worried, stroke scared of an emerging China which has got a lot of firepower because it's saved a lot of money because of its trade surpluses and what it's going to do with that and how it's going to interfere with United States domination of the world. And if that's the case, which I believe it is, then these trade wars, currency wars, economic wars are going to be with us for a long time. So it's something that it, it is what it is and we need to deal with it and invest accordingly and be careful of particular industries and particular companies which are going to get caught in the crossfire. You mentioned there that you've got about, uh, obviously on a look-through basis, about 4% in, in the rest of Asia. Is that anything to do with um, shifting trading patterns from China into the likes of Vietnam that we seem to be hearing a lot about recently? No, that's spread between um, Thailand, Japan, um, and Australia. But it also it also includes a, a bond that we've got um, in in Southeast Asia. And we've got a, a, a dollar bond that's yielding nine percent, and it's unfortunately it's only a three three and a half year bond, um, but we've had it. Or nearly half that period, and getting nine percent, actually nine and three three eighths of a cent in in U.S. dollars on the bond. We've got six percent of the international trust in that bond, so it's like having twelve percent earning four and a half five percent in dollars. That's part of that four percent in the rest of Asia. Interesting. You mentioned Japan. There, it seems to be a market everybody loves to hate. Are you finding some particular stocks? We've got a pharmaceutical, global pharmaceutical company that just happens to be listed in Japan. It's got quite a lot of debt in it and they need the cash flow to pay down the debt and as that happens, um, the economic value moves from the debt side to the equity side and I'm I'm expecting double digit returns from that stock. Let's shift focus slightly and and ask you a question about Europe and and what your view is there given given what's going on and the, and the lack of growth that we've seen over the last few years. Um, any any rays of light in the European markets? I, I think it comes down to these economic war things, you know, it's happening before Trump. But Europe's banks, and you need strong banks to get a strong economy, Europe's banks haven't been managed properly and the politicians haven't been sure that they manage properly. So Europe's growth hasn't been able to get going because money supply and, and debt is another way of looking at it. But yeah, the growth in debt has been too small to get the stimulation in the economy um, going. And that's been because the banks haven't been prepared to lend. And that's partly because of the German phobia with that sort of thing. Um, so mismanagement, the banks mismanagement from the politicians has ensured that Europe has been less um, economically active than it could could or should have been. But understand the demographics has been against Europe. The 
extent of the social programs that they had has been against Europe. So they could only have done so much. I don't think it would have been a huge growth area. But the extent of the downturn would have been ameliorated if the, the banks had managed the situation better. Also, another part of the growth story is that even in America, the growth is coming from a few industries, and that's the new era industries of tech um, and media. And those are industries that Europe isn't, isn't partaking in. China's partaking in those things, but uh, Europe's way behind in that area. So where would Europe have been getting its growth from? Because the industries that they're in are, are declining. One of the big industries in Europe has, has been motor vehicles, and that, that industry is looking like it's becoming a dinosaur industry, certainly past its peak. And then final question for you then, Dave, is obviously, you know, with the change in the Fed direction, people are postulating that this economic expansion continues into the future. And so what's your expectations for the equity markets over the next 12 to 36 months? And I'm not asking you for a point point return number, obviously, but um, in terms of direction. Well, it's, yeah, there's more to it than that. It's a, it's a, it's a very important question you're asking. I mean, when I first came into this game, I can't remember how many years ago, I was warned, don't fight the Fed. A year ago, markets were imploding and the Fed stepped up and started to bring liquidity into the game. And that sustained the market and the Fed's still on, on that game. In September this year, some liquidity drained out of the system and the repo rates jumped up and there was a bit of an issue, but that was due to a technical error that the Fed made. And the Fed is definitely intent on keeping liquidity around and there's, just, there's actually too much liquidity around. So until the Fed starts to take the liquidity out of the system, the equity market's likely to continue. But next year's uh, an election year, and the Fed often doesn't change anything in an election year for fear of interfering with the, or being accused of interfering with the election. So by the time we get to March, you probably won't see any changes in interest rates there. And because things are going so swimmingly in the market, stuff, they're unlikely to decrease interest rates. And because the Fed's also be careful of the president, so the Fed's a bit muted at this stage, but it doesn't need to do too much because things are going pretty well. Not all sectors of the economy are doing well, but the consumer's doing well enough and they're important here. But I would look out a little bit further. It's all about the Fed, and the Fed is very, very important. But we've had a boom courtesy of Mr. Trump, and is he going to win the next election? And U.S. elections tend to be a coin toss. I would be very concerned about investments and markets if Elizabeth Warren were to, the markets tend to start to discount and worry about things in advance. So if we get to March and Warren is the Democratic candidate, then the market will start to discount her getting in, even if it's the risk of her getting in rather than, and that becomes the problem is the risk of her getting in as opposed to her actually winning. Um, so you'll start to see some market reaction from, from March, I would say. But the markets have got ahead of themselves, but they're not overpriced if interest rates are going to remain at zero and one percent around the world and two percent in the United States. They're not that expensive. So in this new era, at some stage, there has to be a downturn. And 2021 is probably the year that things uh, where the risks may come home. So it's um, likely to be in terms of global equities, but not SA equities, 
more of the same for the next three, four months, and then I think we might see some serious um, questions and risk being taken off the table. Okay, well, Dave, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure, Rob. Thanks for the support. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.